Hey, everybody. You know, Steve and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and a whole lot longer than that as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, to heal betrayal trauma, and to reclaim your relationship. And we've gone ahead and poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you guys have done on your journey for healing and recovery, we guarantee you have never done anything like this. You know, we've made all the mistakes so you don't have to. Please don't reinvent the wheel. Guys, come on, let's get real. Tomorrow never really comes. Don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the PBSC Podcast. Steve Moore here and Mark Castleman. It's good to be with you guys today. We're here on episode 145 of the Porn, Betrayal, Sex, and the Experts podcast. Can't believe it's 145. That is absolutely wild. Um, we've got a great uh, topic today that I don't believe we actually checked to make sure because we weren't positive, but a topic that we don't, I don't think we've ever directly covered uh, that came in actually through a uh, listener of ours. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read the question real quick and we'll just dive right in. It's an, it's an interesting, different uh, different shift for today. Hi, Mark and Steve. I am really enjoying your podcast and have been in recovery for just over nine months. I am listening to the podcast in order, in order and I'm on episode 72, so forgive me if you have covered this topic. My question is regarding polygraphs. I have failed two of them, and now my wife does not trust a thing I say. I admitted that the first one I took was being dishonest. Uh, I was being dishonest because I wasn't ready to fully disclose all my past behavior and felt rushed in the disclosure process. However, I scrapped the barrel with my therapist, admitted to everything I could remember from my acting out years, and I still failed a second time. I am now being 100% honest, but now my wife does not trust anything I say. It's not looking good for us because of this. I have heard from other men in recovery that they have experienced the same thing. They were same thing, meaning they were truthful yet failed a polygraph. I wonder where you guys stand on this and if you would have any advice for me going forward. I really do appreciate all you do. As someone who is not religious and a non-believer, I am still able to connect with you guys via this podcast. Thanks. First of all, just uh, love those compliments. Very kind. Uh, and we're glad that, that uh, I mean, we make no bones about the fact that we do reference from a Judeo-Christian background, but we want this to be a place where everybody can find healing and hope. And appreciate this listener writing in because we, We've mentioned polygraphs on here from time to time, Mark, but I don't think we've really ever talked about them in any sort of detail or the role they play in recovery and all that. So, no, we probably avoided it. Just, <laughs> <laughs> it can be such a 
charged topic, uh, controversial. There are those who feel passionately about it as uh, an absolute um, necessity as part of disclosure. There are others who completely toss it out as having no validity at all, right? Everybody in between. <clears throat> it's a it's a pretty lightning rod issue. Yeah, um, and we, you know, you and I in our in our in our practices have had uh, quite a bit of experience with these. Yes, you know, I think <clears throat> I think it's important to keep this whole polygraph thing in perspective. It's important to know um, what it is and what it isn't, what it can do and 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 what it can't do. I've had a lot of uh, I've had a lot of spouses, for example, who are suffering under really severe betrayal trauma. And they, uh, you know, grab onto this polygraph concept. And one of the things that I find becomes really difficult is when the expectations around it uh, become more than it can deliver or that it's mm-hmm. required to deliver. Yeah. It can end up with a lot of disappointment, <clears throat> a lot of, um, a lot of uh, even resentments and just all kinds of stuff can happen here. Now, it doesn't mean that, that they can't be valuable because they can. You know, so probably the first thing we should talk about is so, so why a polygraph in the first place? Why do yeah. we even want to consider it? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and just for those who may not know what we're referencing, so polygraphs are, are I shouldn't say on occasion, it's actually fairly common uh, to be used in concert with uh, the formal disclosure process. For those who are not familiar with that, uh, formal disclosure, it's something we've talked about in past podcast episodes. So we definitely reference you there. But um, formal disclosure is usually a process navigated by a therapist where an addict goes through, like the name implies, right? Literally a full a process of providing providing a full disclosure of all past, you know, acting out behaviors and history. Uh, there's a lot of positive reasons and outcomes for that. And again, we've referenced you to know, other podcasts for, for that. But uh one of the pieces to that that is oftentimes included as a way to uh, provide some additional oomph would be the clinical term right uh to a to a uh disclosure is the utilizing of a of a polygraph or a polygraph being taken by by an addict in recovery leading up to usually immediate immediately before the full disclosure uh, actually takes place and uh, it can help in a couple of ways so the first is you know it, it can definitely add to the validity of the full, full disclosure when it's done in concert with other components obviously one of the challenges with the full disclosure is that in order for them to be effective, there has to be sort of a critical mass between both an addict and a partner for them to really work or to gain to gain leverage uh, in, in helping change the relationship. And so uh, polygraphs can play a role in, in with other components in helping to provide some of that. Not only is, is the partner or, or the addict, right, saying, hey, look, I'm trying to do my best to be honest. I've put everything out on the table. Uh, they also, uh, in some cases, that subjecting oneself to voluntarily to a polygraph can provide that additional right verification from somebody who's qualified that can say, "Look, uh, to the best of my ability, you know, I we're we're we we believe that that you know he is telling the truth." Um, so it's kind of that third party that's outside of the therapist, it's outside of the coupleship, right? Somebody who has no skin in the game at all with this whole process being able to kind of vouch for it. Another big reason why uh, people do polygraphs uh, is is uh, they can be useful in helping to determine, I guess you could say, a client's willingness, right, to navigate the disclosure process. It goes without saying that a full disclosure is never an addict's favorite fun fact um, when going through the process of recovery. And 
one of the things that many spouses are looking for are, is verified verified evidence, if you will, or verifiable evidence that a spouse or that, that the addict partner, after so many instances of betrayal and deception and all the other stuff that has gone on, uh, they're looking for evidence that he truly is willing to really fight for the relationship and being able to, and willing to get uncomfortable to to engage with a polygraph uh, can can be a good step, again, in concert with other things to be able to not just talk the talk, but so to speak, but to also, you know, quote, unquote, walk the walk. So, yeah. Yeah. And there's some, there are some basics with regard to polygraphs. I mean, it it is not an exact science and it's very important that that be understood. Yeah. I mean, they've come a long way over the last, uh, you know, a couple of decades, but accuracy, I think they say accuracy is somewhere in the 80 to 90% range. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's, that's a pretty high accuracy rate, but it still does leave room for doubt, for error, for whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to know that going in. And also you need to make sure that, you, that there's a qualified uh, polygrapher that's involved with this. Sure. Not just your run-of-the-mill, you know, person uh, administering a polygraph, but someone who has past experience doing polygraphs around sexual, you know, addiction disclosures. Uh, working with people who have, who have histories with sexual issues is very important. The other side of it is there's a big preparation process. I mean, when we work, when we get involved with these disclosure processes uh, and polygraphs, what are the questions that the polygrapher is going to ask? Those questions should be created in, in cooperation and harmony with the client, the spouse, and the therapist. Right. This is a very integrated process. You don't, you just don't take the addict in recovery and drop him off at the polygrapher's office and say, you know, good luck. There is a lot of preparation that goes into being ready uh, to go in and do this. Yeah. So, yeah, very important to understand the realities of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and lots of things can, can, uh, you know, influence polygraphs. I, I, this, you know, this, this, this uh, writer of our original question, um, you know, talks about he, he went in and owns the fact that he went in and just, you know, light his face off with, uh, with the first polygraph and wasn't willing to own a lot of things. And, and, uh, it would, a polygraph, I think for anybody would be nerve wracking out the gate. I mean, it is a pretty involved process. You're hooked up to some kind of strange devices and all that jazz. But I think there would be an additional add on of anxiety, if you will, right. Going into that following, you know, uh, an act of deception in the past and, with the way that polygraphs work and the different elements to the body, be it pulse and heart rate and other things that they monitor, obviously that's going to pick up on that. It could play a role in, in results. And so there are lots of things that can just influence the process. Um, neither one of us are experts in it, but we're familiar enough with the process to speak to it a little bit. Um, you know, polygraphs, I think when we talk about them in disclosure, because not everybody does a polygraph in, no. the, in the process of disclosure, I would say probably honestly, Historically speaking, less than half of my couples that I've worked with have requested one. Um, so it's it's probably a little less than 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 half overall. And uh, I don't think that it's unhealthy to not ask for one because I think when it when considering a polygraph, um, I think the most important thing to ask oneself, or you know, Mark and I we were talking about this, it's you always want to keep in mind, first and foremost, what's the reason? Why are we doing a polygraph, right? Like, why are we even looking at, at doing one? Very similar to the line of questioning that Mark and I will ask clients, specifically partners, when we go through and we even engage in the in the disclosure process, right? We want to have a disclosure. 
Awesome. Why? Why do you want to have a disclosure? Because there are lots of healthy reasons to engage in the disclosure process. There are also some unhealthy reasons to to engage in the disclosure process. And the same thing holds true for a polygraph. Um, because polygraphs can provide a lot of, of help and support. But like anything else in disclosure, including the disclosure itself, their capacity to heal is limited. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very important to know why you're going into this whole disclosure polygraph situation. And what are your expectations? Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that I often see where this really goes awry, uh, especially with a a spouse, you know, who's in severe betrayal trauma. And sometimes they will, they will start to put, you know, start to have expectations about what this polygraph process will do. Um, uh, For example, one of the, one of the expectations can, can too often be um, if he, if he passes the polygraph, then I will be safe. If that happens, that's that is what I will need in order to to be to finally feel safe and that we can move forward. And yeah. where and where the real issues come in is when the polygraph is taken and passed, and that instant feeling of complete security and safety and optimism to move forward is not felt. Now we have spouses and addicts in recovery who where it starts to get uh, can start to get pretty. Uh, pretty messy. Yeah. When, when those feelings and the results didn't happen the way they hoped they would. Right. Because there's a whole lot more going on here than just passing a polygraph. There's a whole lot more going on even than having a full disclosure, right? There's everything that, that needs to be happening during and after those processes that, that matters. I mean, that, that are the most important aspects actually. Yes. Yeah. I think you wrote, Steve, you said uh, polygraphs are not a guarantee of either deception or truthfulness. Yes. And and special emphasis on the word guarantee. And I understand, you know, when, when people have been severely betrayed, you are looking for guarantees. Why? Because you're sick and tired of being hurt. You don't want to be blindsided again. You don't want to be made the fool, right? You don't want to go through all of this pain. So I need a guarantee that this guy's got everything out on the table and it's all, the whole truth has been told. I need you to guarantee that to me. Well, and likewise, I think for addicts, that's equally the case, right? There's a, I mean, this guy vocalizes, I think really well in his question, right? After all these years of deception or half-truths or whatever the case is, when we start getting into serious and real recovery, we get really desperate to be able, you know, what we're experiencing as addicts, you know, in the recovery process, unfortunately, in many cases is like the boy who cried wolf, but like on, playing out on a global epic marital scale. Yes. Right. Where we've said so many times that we're serious, but when we haven't been, you know, we're, we find ourselves just begging and pleading and looking to therapists and to others to almost like, there's got to be some way that I can somehow make her believe me. Right. Right. Because I'm telling the truth now, but you know, again, we're a victim to our own crying wolf 50,000 times in the past and, and it not being true. And so I think on both sides of the coin, everybody's looking for that guarantee, right? We're all looking for something or someone to say, yep, he's, he's legit, you know, right. You can trust this guy again. Yep. And, and that's the frustrating hard part about recovery. And when you're dealing with things like intimacy is that there is no guarantee. If anybody, 
If anybody figures out what the guarantee is for trusting your partner again, following betrayal, please write us at uh, pbscpodcast.com. <laughs> yes, we will write please. our next book with you. <laughs> please do send that in right away. We'll all get rich together. <laughs> so, yep. The guarantee. But, but there, but nothing like that exists. And so, because at the end of the day, choosing to trust someone, whether it's the beginning of a relationship organically or whether it's following betrayal on a more cognizant level is always a choice. Well, making, I, making yeah, that decision. I, I love that you said that, Stephen. And I, and we know there's a lot of you listening. When you hear that phrase, it might be really tough to hear. Trust is a choice. Well, well, what do you mean, Mark and Steve? That's not true. Trust is earned. Trust is, right? There's evidence that's provided so that someone can trust it. Which is true. A choice. Which is true. There is evidence. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's but a, evidence doesn't provide guarantees. <clears throat> no, it does. Evidence, yeah. The evidence doesn't provide guarantee. At the end of the day, with everything else being factored in and, and doing everything that you can, you're still going to have to come to the risky, vulnerable place to say, I get to choose whether to trust or not. Or I must choose whether I'm, to trust or not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it feels like less of a privilege and more of, yeah, a, more of a scary thing. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, it's, it's a true. scary thing. Yeah. Well, and, sure. and so polygraphs, right? They, you know, it, this, is, this kind of takes us back to this question of why, right? Because just like the disclosure itself, there is there is no, and here we go with more hard news for spouses, but there is no silver bullet that provides the quote unquote tipping point for now you can trust him. Now you have the the blessing, right? The you're able to go forward and now trust him. All of the pieces of evidence that happened during recovery over time, everything having to do with his level of willingness, to his sincerity in the process, to how much insight he's able to vocalize. To a variety of other things, those all play a role um, in providing that. And we do have some some ideas for helping to add to that, right? I mean, maybe we should just go through those right now. Yeah. I mean, if we, you know, consider a, a polygraph and a disclosure, I would even consider those almost as a starting place, right? You're opening the door to trust. And if you're going to walk through that that door of trust, there are actually quite a few things. Yeah. That should be present, that should be the evidence that, that you need to be seeing in order for trust to begin to build and increase. Right? When we say trust is a choice, we don't mean, well, just choose to, choose to trust and then nothing else matters. No, what we mean by choosing to trust is, okay, I'm, I'm going to choose to trust and move forward, but I'm going to watch and observe and look for evidence. But I'm, mm-hmm. choosing, to, I'm choosing to go on that journey. Yes. So yeah. Yeah. On that journey, what is the evidence that I can, I can trust again? There's tons of them, right? I mean, we talk about them on the podcast all the time and it's, we're going to list these, but keep in mind, guys, it's not just whether these things are happening or not. It's how they're happening. Mm -hmm. Are they just a check of the box experience? Are there something that, that the addict partner is engaging in on a proactive basis? Is he, is he the one willing to initiate these things, et cetera? But here are some examples. For example, couples check-ins, right? Are they happening? Who's driving the ship on them? How deep do they go? Filters on devices, right? We talk oftentimes about how filters on, on different pieces of tech, though that just like anything else is not a guarantee in recovery, nor will it keep somebody sober, but it can help with the process and it can definitely help to engender trust. What's his level of willingness with that? Is he abiding by those things? 
um, transparency and sharing, you know, recovery insights. When he comes home from group, does he talk about what he learned? How will open how open is he willing to discuss those things? When he comes home from therapy, of course, he shouldn't be sharing everything that happens in therapy. But what's something that he pulled from it? How did he feel during the session? Right? Like what were some of the insights that he got? Um, verifiable recovery actions, right? Are you seeing him attend group? Are you seeing him go to therapy? Is he the one setting up the appointments? Are you reminding him or having to do those things? You know, in some cases, now this wouldn't be appropriate in all cases, and this should be done with the addict's consent, of course, and not under any pressure. But I have had some couples, for example, where trust can be increased, where when when the addict is in therapy, uh, if he is comfortable with it, and if the therapist is, uh, having a couple session where they can kind of talk about, at least in general terms, how is the addict progressing in therapy, right? What are some of the barriers to him him progressing in recovery? What are some of the things that are going well, right? So kind of a progress update uh, like that can be helpful. But again, none of these things, including a polygraph, will ever be the the thing that says that this is the case. But when you put them all together, you know, if it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it swims like a duck. (laughs) Every time you can verify one of those things, the more and more, right, it coalesces into the likelihood that this is, in fact, a duck. And so... Um, polygraphs have a really powerful place in the, in the process, but they are not the end all be all, nor is a disclosure, nor any one piece of this process. And so for those guys who are listening for you addicts who are listening, this is where, you know, we, we, we kind of go back to you as, as being the demographic that wrote in today. Those are the things, if you're looking for ways to build up and to develop trust with a partner, don't look at it like silver bullets. Look at it like a million little BBs in in shot in you know in silver shotgun shells, right? It's a bunch of little, little, little things that we do in recovery as we go through the process that all formulate a process of change and growth and and creating that space where where trust can happen again. And Mark, if we uh, there was only a place where these people could come <laughs> come to and and yeah. learn about that. Could you could you tell us a little bit about yeah, that place you, where they could come? You wanted to actually learn how to rebuild trust so that it wasn't dependent on one single thing like a disclosure or a polygraph. Yeah, we have this little program called Dare to Connect. It's sort of in the name, isn't it? Dare to Connect. Yeah, we'd love to have all of you come over and be with us and Dare to Connect. Um, as you, as you may or may not know, we, we do three live sessions with me and Steve on, uh, we do, uh, full hours, one on Monday, one on Wednesday, one on Friday, Mondays are addicts, Wednesdays are partners and Fridays are couples. So you can spend a full hour with us where we talk about raw and real issues. There's communication in the chat thread. We, we actually have our wives on those on those programs. We're Mark actually, will be Marks will be here on Wednesday. Oh yeah, my wife will be here on Wednesday in the partner session. Yep. Uh, we're actually in a, in another uh, couple of weeks going to have uh, actually some uh, a couple on who are in recovery are going to come on the session and we're going to actually wor- uh, show what it's like to work out some couples issues. So yep. this is in the trenches. This isn't just a you know, pre-recorded videos or whatever. This is me and Steve raw and real with you in the moment with whatever you're going through right now. So we would love to have you come over there. We just added, uh, for example, uh, live support groups on the weekends, uh, kind of 12 step type support groups where Steve and I facilitate those. So this is, this is full on recovery and healing and, and pretty much everything that you need uh, to to bring this process for uh, the addict, the spouse, and the couple 
especially rebuilding trust like we're talking about today. Absolutely. Yeah. Give it a look, guys. Give it a chance over at daretoconnectnow.com. We'd love to have you come join us and pick up that free two-week trial. Uh, as always, guys, we appreciate you sending in these questions, and this was a great one today. Please do continue to keep those coming. Again, at uh, pbscpodcast.com, there is a contact form down at the bottom of the page. We would love to hear from you. And uh, as always, it's our pleasure to keep uh, to know that we've got listeners now in 160 some odd countries. We, we passed 300,000 downloads just a couple of weeks ago, and things are just rolling. And we're just excited and gratified that you're here and 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 that you're finding this helpful. And and uh, we would love to continue to work with you. So reach out and let, let's let's make it happen. Sounds great. We'll uh, we'll see you next time on PBSE. See you guys. Bye-bye. Everything expressed on the PBSE podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.